Welcome back, Saturday Sports New Adventure. Joey Alfieri with you on this first edition of the show. Uh, really excited that we're going to be able to do this with you every week from 10 till noon on Saturday mornings on TSN 690. Time for a little impact talk now. Joining us on the program, he's the Assistant Sporting Director of the Montreal Impact. He's Vasily Kremenzidis. Vasily, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Hi, Joey. Joey, first off, I want to take some time to congratulate you on the show. Thank you. you know, I know it's, it's well-deserved on your part, and I know you'll continue to represent Montreal sports and the impact well. And, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time on uh, on uh, what I'm sure is a very busy Saturday for you. Uh, let's uh, jump right into it. Uh, yesterday, we saw that the, uh, ex- I guess it's the extension of the uh, September schedule uh, for the league and the Montreal Impact came out. Uh, you guys will be playing your uh, one quote-unquote home game against Philadelphia at Red Bull Arena. Uh, and then you're going to go on the road. You're going to play at New England and at the New York Red Bulls. Uh, just your overall impressions of this, and what's the challenge of basically not really having uh, your home stadium and home facilities at your disposal? Yeah, it's you know it's definitely challenging. I mean, we can date it all the way back. We've been dealing with the government for a little bit of time now, and you know trying to get a modified quarantine in Montreal for the guys. We haven't been super successful on that yet, but we're hoping that. You know, with only releasing three games of the schedule right now, um, you know, it gives us a bit more time to try and consider what's going on for the rest of phase two. Um, in terms of the three games themselves, though, you know, there are, even though one is considered a home game, that to me they're pretty much road games in the sense that, you know, we're not playing in our stadium. We were fortunate enough to have 250 people here cheering us on with the ultras in the back, of course, as well. So it'll be a bit different. You know, we'll be traveling for a home game. So it's a different feeling, of course. And, you know, we're still going to approach the games like we always do and um, leave it all on the field. So you mentioned, you know, trying to work with the government for a modified quarantine hasn't worked. Uh, Do you guys know how long this is? Like, are you going to stay on the road beyond these three weeks? And and how challenging would that be? That's unsure yet. Um, They're still working with the government on any protocols and uh, quarantine periods that we would need to do upon return. So we're not 100% sure on that, but um, yeah, we're working on it and we're hoping for an advantageous situation. But if we did have to go on the road, you know, we've spoken with MLS, spoken yeah. with our players and everything on different scenarios that are possible um, and for the next couple of months of the season through November 8th. So we'll see what that is um, after this uh, mini road trip here down in New York, New England and back to New York. He's the assistant sporting director of the Montreal Impact, Vasily Kremenzidis, joining me on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Um, I know Safir Tider has been pretty vocal about this on a, on a past uh, Zoom call with the media. He's not sure that he wants to take off uh, for another extended road trip because he, he went a couple months, I think, without seeing his family and his son. Uh, do you presume that that would be a challenge? How do you work with the players to kind of make this as comfortable as possible for them? Look, the league is working with the players to try and make it as comfortable as possible for them for each of their situations. You know, you have uh, 20-something guys in your team, you're going to have 20-something different scenarios to deal with. And, you know, each and every one of them, we speak to them individually, and they have, um, you know, we'll deal with all of those situations when we know a lot more information on the next part of the schedule. Um, But other than that, I mean, you know, we try to make sure they're as comfortable as possible. Um, we provided a lot for the families, and we had a lot available for the families when they were uh, in the MLS back tournament in Orlando. So we plan to do the same if they need to go for an extended period of time down to New York. Fair enough. Uh, all right, I want to move on to something else now. You guys acquired an international roster spot 
I believe was that at the beginning of the week uh, for uh, from DC United uh, for some allocation money. And you guys, I, what I found interesting is that you got it not just for the rest of this year, uh, you got it for next year as well. Uh, so I think that gives you nine international roster spots for next season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but so what's what's the plan? What can you tell Impact fans about this this addition? Yeah, well, look, I mean, initially, you know, we did our homework around the league. You know, we came to terms with DC United on the deal. We felt that we got a good deal with them for the international spots for this year and next year. And anytime you can plan ahead and obtain a slot for next season, it's always something that's very interesting and um, something that we wanted to do. In terms of the international slots for this season, I mean, we're looking at uh, trying to bring in Kiza in time for uh, when the, before the transfer window closes. So we had an opportunity to acquire one now. Um, so we pulled the trigger and went forward. Um, now in terms of, you know, trying to actually use that one for Kiza to come in, we're waiting on a few things in the visa process. Everything is out of our control. Um, but as soon as stuff becomes a little bit clearer, we'll be able to sort of advance in that situation. So we're prepared for that um, when it comes. So when you mentioned Kiza, just a refresher for Impact fans, you're talking about the Ugandan fullback Mustafa Kiza uh, that you guys acquired uh, earlier in the season. So look, I know we haven't really heard much about him. Uh, we know that there's definitely a, a need for a modern-day left-back on this team. Uh, what can you tell us about Mustafa Kiza? And does he, I mean, just to give a kind of a reference point to Impact fans, does he remind you at all of Ambrose Oyongo and what he was able to bring to Montreal for the couple of years that he was here? Yeah, look, uh, Mustafa Kiza is a player with a high potential. He's a young guy, of course. Um, more modern-day fullback, like you said, is attacking fullback. He can cover the whole line. He definitely delivers a good cross. So, again, he's young. He's got room for improvement on everything, of course, including on the defensive side. But we're looking forward to having him here, of course, whenever that may be. And like I said, with the visa process, we're working through that um, with our staff and, and lawyers and, and um, trying to get that done as soon as possible. But it's out of our control. But, you know, once he comes here, we're pretty excited to have him part of our team. He's Assistant Sporting Director Vasily Kremenzidis of the Montreal Impact joining us on Saturday Sports. Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Um, so look, I mean, is is there a chance that there's going to be some more tweaking to the roster? I mean, I know you're not going to give any names or anything like that or targets, but is this the group that's going to go the rest of the way? Or do you think that, you know, there's maybe a trade, a signing? Is, is there anything on that front you can tell us? Yeah, we can evaluate the team... Uh, or we continue to evaluate the team um, with the staff and with Olivier Renard, of course. Um, and, I mean, you know, there's always room for improvement. And if that come, becomes a possibility, we'll definitely go in that direction. We do understand all the challenges with the whole visa process and work permits and are weighing that as well um, when we consider movements for 2020 season. So, of course, we're weighing everything out. Um, we'll make decisions as they come. We've got another... We're the 12th of September. We've got another um, month and a bit before the uh, transfer window closes. So we're working on those. We're working on some of our targets, whether that's for this season or next season. Um, and yeah, again, the visa processes are hard with the whole COVID-19 situation. So we'll evaluate our situation and see where we're at. Yeah, trade-wise, I find like I know people are looking for international signings and all that, but I feel like trade-wise, the last couple of years, like you guys have been killing it. Uh, you know, I think about, you know, the process to get Baloo back. That was a great deal, sending Azira. Uh, and even getting Corrales, who's been like a nice little depth piece on the left side for you guys. 
Uh, and then this this offseason, what you guys were able to do, the Kyoto for Cabrera, like how did that come about? Because that's that's looking like one of the best deals in Impact franchise history, I got to tell you. Well, look, we always follow MLS, right? I mean, all the games, try to watch as many as possible. Um, you know, and I spent a few years on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. I saw a lot of that team. I saw a lot of Houston, especially in 2018 with Kyoto, Manotas, Ellis. You know, they had a Kyoto had a big part in that team. Um, they know, but last year in 2019, when Kyoto was sort of, I want to say, in the doghouse in Houston in the second half of the year, we kept a close eye on that situation. Uh, we reviewed him, you know, identified him as a player um, that we'd be very interested in. And we did all of our research, and, you know, we even reached out to Wilmer Cabrera, who was our head coach for much of the second part of last year. But, you know, even though he wasn't coming back, we kept in close contact. You know, he gave us our opinion. Uh, we have a good relationship with him as well. So, you know, given all that, we started discussions about him with Houston, knowing that they also wanted to move him, given his situation. And in Houston, they had a new head coach, and they wanted to find a solution for Kyoto. Cabrera was a player that interested them at the time, um, you know, and after a few weeks of back and forth, I wouldn't say it's just a matter of days, but I'd say quite a few weeks, um, you know, we came to an agreement, I think it was sometime in December uh, with Houston, and yeah, no, look, we're happy to have Romel Kyoto here with us, I think he's got a good mentality, he's been working really hard, um, he's been a big part of our team so far, so we're pretty happy with that trade, and um, yeah, we're always looking for different opportunities inside the league whether that is something similar to Kyoto or, like you mentioned, Balu last season. Um, MLS is something we follow very closely, of course, the league that we're a part of. And um, any kind of opportunities we can pounce on, we will try and uh, be a part of that. Because, I mean, we've heard Terry Henry mention it a couple times when praising Kyoto, like, you know, all the things that he had heard was that he was a problem away from the field and whatnot. But I guess that's the, the, the part of it. That was kind of important to bounce, you know, to bounce your idea off Wilmer Cabrera and other people who knew the player. And from everything Terry Henry's told us, like he hasn't been a problem off the field at all. They've been pleasantly surprised with uh, with how professionally how professionally is and how much he's contributed on the field at the same time. Yeah, of course, I agree with our head coach. I mean, that's exactly what it is. We, like I said, we've did all our research beforehand, whether that was with Wilmer or speaking to some other people that know him. Um, yeah, we, we weren't too concerned about that. Sometimes it gets, you know, it explodes in the media for different reasons, but we weren't very concerned about that, and we're happy to have him here. And the way he's been performing and everything has been very good for us mm-hmm. so far, and hope that it continues uh, into the next few games. You're listening to Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. We're in conversation with the Assistant Sporting Director of the Montreal Impact, Vasily Kremenzidis. Uh, all right, now to uh, some less fun news to talk about. I got to tell you, I was watching on the couch uh, the other night on Wednesday, and I felt the gut punch when the second Toronto goal, because it's not just a late Toronto goal, it's who scored it too, uh, and you know, Josie Altidore's had his fair share of success against you guys over the years. Just your emotions going through that on Wednesday night? Yeah, sure, of course. I mean, look, I thought we played a good game Wednesday night. You know, of course, any loss hurts. It hurts more when it's versus Toronto FC. And I think any of our supporters would probably feel the same way, um, the same way you did, the same way we did, you know. But that's how it is sometimes in sports. You don't always get the outcome you feel you deserved. Um, you know, we always got to look on to the next one. So that's what it is right now. It's on to the next game. Uh, there's a lot to continue playing for, and we'll be prepared for those games. Because this is just like, it, it's, look, again, like I said, it's a gut punch, there's no doubt. And it, it puts, you know, the, the team's odds of finishing at the top of the Canadian standings for the Canadian Championship final. 
you know, it puts a damper on that. It's still it's still possible, but you got to go out and pretty much be flawless against Vancouver. But it's such a weird time, Vasily, that these games also count for regular season standings. These two in Vancouver, so you you can't allow yourself, I guess, to to be down. Uh, and have that loss linger with you because it matters. Even if you don't finish atop the group, it still matters for regular season positioning. Yeah, of course it does. And that was one of the things, you know, we're not being able to get at least a point or three versus Toronto. It's not only the Canadian Championship standings, but of course everything counts for the season as well. You know, now we'll go into Vancouver for a couple of games. And, um, you know, of course we're going there to, to win the games and we'll have the Canadian Championship standings in the back of our minds. Um, with the goal differential and everything that is necessary for that. But, of mm-hmm. course, we're going there to win. We're going there for the points in the standings. And, you know, we're we're going to continue playing and continue being prepared for those games because there's quite a few left. We've got the two versus Vancouver. We've got the Union, um, the Revolution. We've got Red Bulls, everybody coming up. So uh, we'll be ready for those and looking forward to that part of the year. Look, we saw Vancouver once at uh, Saputo Stadium already. Uh, just can you give us a quick scouting report, what you think their strengths, weaknesses are, what can be exposed there in these next two games? Yeah, look, well, I've been watching Vancouver for a little while. They, you know, at the MLS's back tournament, for example, they didn't have all of their guys. Um, they were forced to stay back for various reasons. You know, now they've gotten them back together. They had a few games with them, so they haven't had them all for a long time. They also got rid of or sorry, not got rid of, but they sold one of their players mm-hmm. in the midfield in Bomb, which is a very good player. So I think they're still working on getting themselves, um, you know, building some chemistry within that team. Um, Mark Santos working on trying to get, um, you know, everybody to play his system and his style. So they're they're improving game by game. We've seen every game that they've played so far. Um, it's not going to be easy. No game is easy. doesn't matter where you fall in the standings. It's definitely be a challenge, especially on the road, especially traveling, um to Vancouver to play those games on the turf field and everything, but we'll be ready for them. Uh, we've done our scouting, the staff has done their work, our video analysis and everything, and um, yeah, we're going to be prepared and go there to uh, try and win those games. What have you made of uh, of the strike inter- Canadian international Lucas Cavallini out in Vancouver? It seems like we, we saw him, he was not- he obviously had the penalty uh, attempt against you guys in that, uh, in that first game that you guys played at Saputo Stadium. He got his first goal uh, against Toronto FC last week. Uh, the service hasn't always been there, but overall, what have you what have you thought of him, and what kind of a threat is he? Yeah, I mean, he's a good player. They paid a lot of money to get him. He has a lot of qualities that he's brought from other leagues, and you know, to bring it back here to to Vancouver, um, I think he'll be a big contributor to them. And coming to MLS, it takes a, sometimes it takes a lot of time for players to adapt, and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, I think Lucas will be fine. I think he'll uh, he'll do well in this league and. You know, just hopefully not versus us. That's what, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe after that he can continue to score goals. So we'll try and uh, slow him down in uh, Vancouver. Vasily, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate you doing this. Uh, and uh, all the best going forward these next two games against Vancouver and whatever the league has in store for you guys the rest of the way. Perfect, Joey. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And again, congrats on your show and looking forward to keep speaking with you. Thank you very much. That's Vasily Grimanzidis. He's the Assistant Sporting Director of the Montreal Impact on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. All right, time for a little more uh, puck talk as well. Uh, I love that eliminated teams can make trades during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Last night, the Wild, they acquired six foot six Nick Bukestad from the Penguins. Should the Canadians have been in on that deal? I'll tell you what I think. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. No, I think they know how valuable he is. Here, here's the one thing. I just think everybody needs to pay attention to this now. 
Uh, I talked about it a bit on Ottawa Radio today, and I'm not trying to be a fear monger. Things are going to be different around the NHL for the next year or two. Things are going to be different in terms of contracts that are going to be given out. Things are going to be different in terms of the dollar value of some of these contracts. Things are going to be different in terms of some of the ownership groups around the league. We're going to see some changes in ownership groups. Budgets are going to be really closely guarded. There's Pierre Maguire on Melnick in the afternoon yesterday talking about Philip Deneau's situation with the Canadians entering the final year of his contract. And that's the reality. There's just there's not going to be as much money as teams thought uh, at their disposal because of the loss of revenues. Alan Walsh, agent provocateur, provocateur uh, this week on Melnick in the afternoon said that revenues might dip uh, below 50%. Uh, to what they were. So uh, there may not be as much money as Phil Deneau thinks there is available to him. Uh, This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till noon. A reminder that Hall of Fame offensive tackle Uzuma Okeke will join us uh, in about 10 minutes' time to share some stories about Mike Pringle rushing for 2,000 yards, and Pringle was quite a character, so I'm sure uh, Ooze will have some good stories there. Uh, but uh, just talking about Phil Deneau, that brings us to our Saturday sports poll question of the day. Where do you think Phil Deneau will be playing at the start of the 2021-22 season? Uh, the poll results so far, nearly 400 people have voted, at Joey Alfieri and at TSN690 on Twitter. Uh, Montreal or elsewhere, 77.6% of the uh, fans voting on this poll uh, believe that Phil Deneau is going to stick around with the Montreal Canadiens beyond next season. And I've already mentioned that I fall into that category too. Uh, I can't imagine that you have a French-Canadian player who's had a, quite a bit of success, as well-respected around the league, and, oh, by the way, play center. Uh, I, I just I can't envision the Canadians letting him walk. I think maybe the numbers right now uh, that he and his camp are proposing to Montreal are a little scary, and that's why you have Elliot Friedman uh, reporting that the Canadians are just gauging what kind of interest there is in Deneau around the league. Uh, but when it, you know, when it comes down to it, I think the Canadians in Deneau's camp uh, are going to get it done because I don't think he wants to leave here and I don't think the Canadians want to see him leave either. Uh, I mentioned it before, there was a trade in the NHL last night and I, I love that teams can make trades. If you're eliminated, you can basically make a trade right now. We saw the Canadians do it uh, with St. Louis and to get Jake Allen last night. It was Nick Bukestad, uh, forward from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was traded to Minnesota for a conditional draft pick, I believe, Darren Dreger reported that that was a conditional seventh round pick, uh, depending on how many games Nick Bukestad plays next year. Um, look again, I, I think people look at it and they see six foot six, over two hundred pounds. Uh, that's somebody that Montreal could have used in their bottom six, and I think he scored over twenty goals uh, once in his career, and he's picked up between forty and fifty points a couple times too. Uh, so he's a nice player. I've always liked Nick Bukestad. Uh, the problem is, if you're not aware, was limited to thirteen games this season. Uh, because of a couple of injuries. Uh, the one that kept him out during the regular season was a core muscle injury. And then he had spinal surgery uh, in May, and that's why he never was able to to pick up and get healthy enough to play the Canadians in that play-in tournament. So, uh, And, of course, he is a Minnesota kid, so the fact that uh, you know Bill Guerin, the GM in Minnesota with the Wild, is taking a chance on him kind of makes sense. Uh, it's a bit of a reclamation project. Uh, the Penguins are picking up 50% of his $4.1 million salary, which is left. Uh, he's got one year left on his deal next year, and that's going to be it. So it is a little bit of a low-risk move for Minnesota. Is it one the Canadians could have made? Eh, maybe. But I think what you're looking for for Montreal, you want size for sure. And Bukestad can play the wing, and he can play center. Um, and, and he is heavy. He is, he is thick. 
but I think you want a guy who's kind of a, a guaranteed presence in your lineup because if you know, look, there's only so many moves that you're going to be able to make this off season, like realistically. Um, so I, I wonder if you know you want to go out and get yourself somebody who you think has a good shot. Uh, of playing most of the games, especially during a condensed schedule next year. I don't think they're going to be able to play 82 games. So is Bukestad a fit? I think the profile is a fit. But if you're the Montreal Canadiens, I'm not sure that you want to be involved. As as low as you know a conditional seventh-round pick is uh, of an asking price for a player, uh, I do think that maybe you pass on Bukestad and you, you spend that money you know, you try to find a, a two, three million dollar player that you're sure is going to be able to uh, withstand the rigors of an NHL season next year. So uh, I'm okay with the Canadians not going uh, all in on Nick Bukestad. And of course, uh, Bill Guerin was a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins front office. So he and uh, Jim Rutherford, they're familiar with each other, worked together for a few years as well. So I'm sure that helps. And that's the second trade that Pittsburgh and Minnesota have made in, uh, in a couple months. Because they had the blockbuster of the Jason Zucker deal that sent uh, Alex Galchenyuk from Pittsburgh to Minnesota. That was a very big deal before the deadline. Uh, so Pittsburgh and Minnesota are uh, have hooked up on uh, on a couple of trades. And I got to tell you, I love this. I hope there's more of this uh, down the road where as soon as your team's eliminated, if you don't make the playoffs or if you get bounced in the first couple rounds, as soon as you're done, I think you should be able to make trades. It makes for a, a much more intriguing offseason. Now, of course, there's always those wink, wink, nudge, nudges uh, where, you know, you say, uh, hey, listen, once, you know, we're allowed to trade again after the playoffs, after the Stanley Cup's awarded, uh, then, uh, you know, we'll announce the trade then. But I, I just, I like that you break up the, the, the you know, the on the ice with some off ice news instead of it just being speculation all the time. And I like Nick Bukestad. I hope, uh, you know, I wish him well. I hope that he can stay healthy next year. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it's a good gamble for a for a, a team like Minnesota that does have some older players, but I feel like they're in transition. I think that Bill Guerin wants to make them look uh, younger. I think they're going to look different next season, and I think that betting on a hometown guy uh, like Nick Bukestad is a smart investment for that team. But for the Canadians, I'd like to see them go after somebody who, yes, is bigger, like Bukestad, that type of body. Uh, but more somebody who's kind of been durable uh, over the last couple of years. In 2002, the Alouettes ended a 25-year Grey Cup drought. Hall of Fame offensive tackle Uzuma Okeke was a big part of that championship team, and he'll tell us some stories about that group. I'm Joey Alfieri. You're listening to Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Not done. 19 seconds left. The hands team on for the Eskimos. Trying to get the ball back, but Ray won't have much time, even if they're successful, to get it and it's in funny, a field goal range. there's viewers out there going, if that happens. Well, that's what we talk about. The CFL's never over till it is over. There is still another crack at it for the Eskimos with the onside kick. Remember, the ball's got to go at least 10 yards before it can be recovered by one of their own teammates. Ball on the ground, the high hop, it is fielded by Copeland, and Jermaine Copeland is going to score, and there is no doubt now, the Montreal Alouettes are going to win. Oh, those are some happy memories for me. I was 12 years old, it was my first year of high school when that happened, and uh, thanks to my father who... Uh, made us skip school for the parade. Uh, it was freezing that day. 
but I just remember it was like a 25-year drought. And obviously, I wasn't around for all of that 25 years, but uh, just following the Isles from 1996 uh, up until that point, there had been so much heartbreak. There was a lot more heartbreak after that too. Uh, but to finally witness that first great cup, was a really, really cool and special moment. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri with you till noon. Our next guest was on that 2002 Alouettes team. He was the offensive lineman of the year in the Canadian Football League in 1999. Great Cup champ and a Hall of Famer, Uzuma Okeke. Welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, one of the few times where I've witnessed uh, an onside kick go all the way. I couldn't believe it. I thought Jermaine Copeland would catch the ball and go down, but he decided to take it all the way. What was going through your head when you saw that unfold? I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there and uh, watching it unfold in real time. He picks up the ball and he keeps running, and everybody's jumping and screaming. <laughs> and uh, it was just exciting to see that happen. You know, he's a big-time player and a big-time player. He just wants to do big-time things. So, uh, for those who don't know, you're scouting for the BC Lions, right? And so, what? Yes, are, what are, correct. So, what are you up to uh, now that there's no football? I'm sure you're as heartbroken as I am about that. Yeah, we are heartbroken. I mean, the CFL's been around a long time, and you hate to have it, you know, pause like that and to be canceled the season. You think about the players, you think about the fans, you think about the coaches, you think about everybody involved. Um, what I've been doing now is just, uh, you know, looking at uh, NFL cuts. Uh, you know, they just finished uh, whittling down their, their, their rosters. So looking at those players and evaluating them as best as you can. And now that the NCAA has picked up and started playing, you know, last week and this week, you start watching those players and, and to try to come up with some lists of guys that may possibly come to the CFL. All right, yeah. So you're, I'm, I, I have no doubts that you were staying busy. So I'm sure that's, uh, that's like a full time job for you too. Uh, but I, okay, I didn't want to talk about present day. I want to have you on. I want to, I wanted you to tell some stories. All right. So I love hearing, sure. I love hearing, AC stories. Uh, Calvillo always said stories. You know, when he played for Vegas, uh, out in uh, when the CFL expanded down south. And I remember him saying how he practiced in a casino parking lot or right. something along those lines. Um, I'm not sure how many people know this, but you started in Shreveport, right? You played two years in Shreveport? That is correct. I started in, I believe it was 94. Mm -hmm. I was working at actually at a, a public relations or like a balloon company right after school, right after I finished up with uh, SMU. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a call from Coach Greg, Force Greg, who became the head coach of Shreveport. And he said he had neglected me and was wanting me to come out to play. So um, I thought about it for about 30 seconds. And <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to go. And I, I got on a plane and went to Shreveport and um, started practicing in training camp. And it was exciting to be playing ball again. Okay. The only thing is that we were staying, they had us staying in a um, – kind of like a place over the stockyards. It was like a big open room that had like bunk beds. And oh it looked like a prison ward, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it was over the stockyards. It was at the fairgrounds at the Independent Stadium. And guys were like all housed in the same area. And uh, Coach Greg got there and he moved us to some, uh, some, to some dorm rooms, which is a lot better. But it was an interesting start to my CFL uh, career. I didn't know any better, so I was just thinking that's just the way it is. So I wasn't expecting anything. But uh, 
uh, you know, come a long way, and I enjoyed those times at Shreveport. Yeah, so, like, what, what were the, the rest of the facilities like? Like, what kind of crowds were you guys getting back then? We got actually good crowds. We didn't win a lot of games, but we got good crowds comparable to uh, what crowds were in the, uh, in the uh, Canadian teams. Um, I can't remember exactly how many, but mm-hmm. our crowds were solid. Because, you know, in, in that time, they sold, you know, hard liquor in the stands. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't know, Shreveport, Louisiana, Louisiana, that's a party state. That's a party city. And they like to have fun. Even when you're not winning, they'll still come out and support you. Right. But so we had great fans, um, even though we went, I think we went like 0-8 before we won our first game, which was in a thunderstorm. And I guess, you know, God helped us to win that game. But um, we were, uh, you know, we're not, we're, we're, we had a lot of good players on the team. We just didn't know how to play the CFL game. He's Hall of Fame left tackle for the formerly of the Montreal Alouettes, Uzuma Okeke, joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690 uh, with Joey Alfieri. So they folded, right? And then you went to Ottawa for a year, and then they folded too? Well, uh, they folded, and actually Montreal picked me up in a dispersal draft. Right. They picked me up and a couple of other players, so I went up to Montreal and practiced with them, uh, went to training camp with them, actually made the team and uh, spent the, like the four, first four weeks on practice roster. Wow. And then Ottawa needed some offensive line, but they were struggling. I think they gave up like 10 sacks to like Alfred Payton in one of the games, <laughs> and they needed some offensive linemen, and I think they called up Montreal, which was, you know, we were right down the street, and they were looking for offensive linemen, and, you know, Pop came to me and said, maybe you should think about going to them, and, and I went and, and signed with Ottawa and was able to start the rest of the season. But you, I mean, ooze. After you know, Shreveport folds. You go to, you come here. You end up in Ottawa. Ottawa folds. You got to be asking yourself some serious questions. I was, I was. <laughs> I mean, when I was in Ottawa, we would get our checks, and people were. You have to run to the bank just to make sure that your check was clear because you were afraid that the money would run out. So I was, you know, really con- concerned about different things. You were thinking, you know. Montreal, I mean, uh, Shreveport folded, Ottawa folded. My bad luck or whatever was going on. <laughs> but then, you know, uh, Ottawa folds, and then Montreal picks me up again, and there's a dispersal draft, and they come to Montreal, make the team. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm starting playing, and uh, we're playing in the big O. And, uh, you know, we're getting 4,000, 5,000 people there. So I start to wonder again, you know, if, if things are going to, you know, end up on the on the bad side again but you know that ut that u2 concert are uh forces to move the playoff game to mcgill to uh, most of the stadium and the rest is history you know okay take me back to that time then so you mentioned you guys were at the big o you weren't drawing many people like when right. did you first get wind uh that you would have to move uh, you would guys would have to move uh, your game to molson stadium like what was your initial impression then and then once you got there and saw the atmosphere, I remember I remember seeing footage ooze, that they were like cutting down trees with a saw, like in the stands. Like, what were your impressions of that whole thing? Yeah, I, I saw that same picture. I saw that <laughs> same thing. I heard that same story about a tree. Actually, I saw the tree. It was like in the corner of the stands, and it was growing, you know, out of the stands. And for me, you know, as a football player, you just want to play. You know, you're not thinking about where you're going to play and 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 all that. You play on a on a on a street corner, or whatever. You play football in the streets. You play football 
in a backyard, so you just want to play. So I was just thinking, you know, when we heard that, you know, whatever, let's just go out and play. It's a playoff game. I'm excited. And uh, But when we got there, it was a different story. I mean, there was a ton of people. The atmosphere, it was, it was loud. It was crazy. It was, it was something. It, it just flipped a switch in you when you heard that crowd go crazy and you heard the people going crazy and enjoying it and the atmosphere right in the mountains overlooking the city. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. He's Canadian Football Hall of Fame left tackle Uzuma Okeke joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. Uh, so you got you when you came back here the second time. You got here, I think that was '97, right? And that was right before Calvillo had arrived. I believe it might have been '96. Well, well, hold on. It could have been '90. Yeah, '96 or '97. Okay. So- and I believe AC could have been. Um, I believe it was his first year, and I believe he was behind Tracy Ham, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Did you know? Like, did you know? Listen, he had he had started in Vegas. He had struggled in Hamilton. He's mentioned before right. that it was between you know either being a starter in Saskatchewan or coming to Montreal and learning behind Tracy Ham. Like when you saw AC arrive and he became your teammate, did you have any idea that he could had the potential to go on and do what he ended up doing? You know, honestly, no. I mean, he was a, you know, he was a good guy, and we hung out. I remember, you know, going to Salsa Tech <laughs> in Montreal <laughs> and having a good time with AC. Um, you know, I remember his, his struggles in Hamilton. You know, it wasn't it was a team around him too yeah. that struggled. So, um, you know, I had no. I remember actually. I remember when he was in Las Las Vegas, the numbers he was putting up there. So yeah, I, I remember that he had some. He had the ability. But he just needed to be in the right situation. Give me a Mike Pringle story I never heard before. Uh, well, you might have heard this, but um, we were playing uh, Toronto, and uh, we're playing Toronto in Toronto, and we're playing where, you know, we run the ball. We like running the ball. And we were running the ball. I think we were going into their end zone, and uh, he got tackled. And his helmet fell off, and they scraped his helmet. They kind of like forced his hel- his head into the turf yeah. and scraped his head. I don't know if you've ever had a turf burn, but <laughs> to have a turf burn on your forehead is is something I, I, I couldn't imagine trying to play with. But we go into halftime, he puts a, a Band-Aid over his head, and it's, it's a huge scar. And he is pissed. He is. I mean, I've never seen somebody that bad. He, I think I think they must have cut him real deep because they must have said something to him in the pile because he comes out that next half and I think he rushed for like 200 yards or something crazy. He was on a he was a man on a mission at that second half. Yeah, and in '98, I mean, what you guys you know up front were able to do and what he was able to do. I mean, he ran for 2,065 yards. I, I personally it was I don't think we'll ever see that again in the Canadian Football League. I just teams just don't play offensively that way anymore but I mean just take me back to 98 when you guys were basically just running all over everybody I mean I I loved it I mean we would have we would just run the ball established and you can see the defense start to just wither I mean they just stopped wanting to tackle Pringle they just started to just lay down the holes are starting to get bigger and the chunks are starting to come and you just love that type of physicality I mean, the game is supposed to be a physical game, and to 
and to 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 have that force that physicality on another team is very very uh, fulfilling. I mean, we had a great time. I remember just you know there would be if we would be up by a touchdown or ten points, you know we would just hand the ball to Pringle and kill like four five minutes off the clock. I mean, teams don't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, if you're winning by ten points, you still could lose. You still could lose the game. But back then, we would just hand the ball off to him, and we could eat up four, five, six minutes of the clock and finish the game. You met, we mentioned off the top that uh, you know the in 2002, you guys ended a 25 year drought for the city. Of course, the team didn't you know wasn't around for all those years. But uh, you guys also lost. I mean, there was a lot of heartbreak. Uh, it was following as a fan. I mean, I was I was left devastated a couple of times. Uh, which loss? Still lingers with you the most. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say probably the Grey Cup game against Edmonton in BC, the, like the double overtime. Overtime, yeah, yeah. That that kind of that kind of sticks with you a little bit. I mean, you think about that. I mean, the game was the most exciting game I've ever been a part of. They had people passing out in the stands. They. I think they ran out of beer. I mean, it was a crazy game, just the back and the forth. And and I remember the uh, the announcer. I think there was like a hype guy. He was just going crazy the whole game because the game was just it was just back and forth, back and forth battle. And just to lose like we did at the end was just um, was just heartbreaking. It's something to just stick with you. You feel you feel it after the game. You feel it ten years later and. You see replays. You see Machocha falling down yeah. and celebrating. I mean, you, you remember all that like it was yesterday. Like, because there was so many. Like, trust me, that one definitely hurt. Uh, it was in in I think it was '99 when Osbaldiston hit the long field goal in the East oh, final. Yeah. That one hurt. In 2000, yeah. I still maintain that there was pass interference on Thomas Haskins on the two point conversion. Oh yep. You were too. you were around in uh, in 05 when uh, Chip Cox had seemingly brought back uh was that a Dave Dickinson fumble uh, for a touchdown but they called it dead. They ended up overturning the play but they didn't give him the touchdown because uh, they initially yep. called it down by contact. I mean there were just so many memories. That's why 2002 uh, was great but then the gap between 2002 and 2009 that was a long one too and I know you weren't around for all of it but uh, you did experience some heartbreak during that time. Yeah, I, I did. I experienced some heartbreak, and I guess that's what makes the game so good. I mean, game, game so, you know, you have to commit to it because even in those hard times, you know, you get disappointed, but then it comes that 25-year uh, end of that drought when you post that cup and you're going down, um, you know, St. Catherine Street, down the middle of Montreal, and there's 100,000 fans on the street, and it all becomes worth it. It was freezing that day. It was I told I said it. I mentioned it. My dad made us skip school. I was twelve. It was freezing that day. The parade day was incredible. It, it was. <laughs> it was something I would ne- I would never forget. It was something that um, that sticks with you, and um, it's, it was a proud moment. It was a proud moment for me, my family, for Montreal, the city, the fans. Um, it, it was just a, a great a great time. Ooz, thanks for doing this, man. All the best during this uh, this quiet, this quote unquote, quiet period with uh, no CFL football, and hopefully we can do this again soon. 
I look forward to it, man. Good luck to you. That's Uzuma Okeke, formerly of the Montreal Alouettes. He's a Hall of Fame tackle, seven-time CFL All-Star. I think he's the best I ever saw do it. Like that, that at the left tackle position, uh, he was outstanding. He played at an extremely high level uh, for a very long time. Was a CFL uh, outstanding offensive lineman in 1999, and uh, helped Mike Pringle opened up the holes for Mike Pringle all those years in Montreal. All right, uh, we've got some more hockey talk coming up. We'll fi- we'll uh, finalize those poll results. Where's Phil Deneau going to be playing in 2021, 2022? That's all coming up on sp- Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Yeah, to me, it's it's kind of the Along the same lines as Bergeron, he's he's a big guy. He's smart. Um, you know, he's conscious defensively. He's also good offensively. Um, good on faceoffs. I mean, I, I think guys like that um, really hard to play against. Um, you know, not just. I think you know the guys that just play the defensive side of the game and don't bring much offense. It's it's one thing, but you know, guys like Dano who who contributes defensively hard to play against, but also can contribute offensively. I think uh, guys like that are are very valuable to teams. There's yeah, Pierre. To me sorry. There's Pierre Luc Dubois who joined the show uh, earlier on, just after 10:35. If you missed our conversation with the Blue Jackets center, uh, you'll be able to find it on TSN690.ca moments after the show is over. Uh, talking about Phil Deneau there, and that takes us right into our poll question of the day here on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri. Just a couple minutes left. Uh, the question, where do you think Phil Deneau will be playing at the start of the 2021-22 season? You can vote uh, for another hour or so after the show uh, on Twitter, at Joey Alfieri, at TSN 690. Uh, right now, Montreal versus elsewhere. Montreal leading 78.3% of the votes, and I think I'm I'm with our listeners. I think uh, I'm with the voters. Uh, I think uh, Phil Deneau isn't going anywhere. I think right now, you know, there's with the way uh, things happen very quickly for the Canadians, like they there was a pause and everyone thought they were done. Uh, then they end up coming back. They win the play-in. Phil Deneau was a big part of that. Uh, they had to adjust uh, after losing the opening game to the Flyers. Uh, they made some changes. Kotkaniemi had a big game too. The entire team played really well, and I just think things shifted. And it just so happened that Phil Deneau ended up finding himself between Paul Byron and Arturi Lekkinen. I, I don't see him playing there next year. Maybe long term, he's more of a third line player, given the players they have in Montreal right now. But even then, I think Phil Deneau has a clear clear role. He can play a heavy role. I think he can be on that second line. And you heard Pierre-Luc Dubois mention uh, to us earlier in the show, like we just heard on the way in, he's really tough to play against. And having a guy like that on your team, uh, it makes you that much better. And if you can slot them, you know, however you want to slot them, I don't care. If you want to slot Suzuki, Dano, Kotkaniemi going into next season, or Dano, Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, like whatever it is, I I think the Canadians will find a way. I think Phil Deneau will find a way. I think they'll agree. I really can't see this marriage ending this offseason or even next offseason. I feel really strongly about that. Uh, hope you enjoyed the first edition of Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri. Uh, we will be around every Saturday from 10 until noon. We'll be uh, talking hockey. We'll be talking football, talking soccer. I mean, we're just we're going to talk everything. We're going to talk uh, all things sports. We're going to try to have some really cool guests uh, like we did today. Special thanks uh, to Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Vasily Kremenzidis, the Assistant Sporting Director of the Montreal Impact, and Canadian Football Hall of Famer Uzuma Okeke, who told us some pretty good stories about playing uh, for the U.S. expansion team in Shreveport. 
back in the mid-90s and also told a really funny story about uh, Mike Pringle getting nicked up against the Toronto Argonauts. So uh, if you missed any of those conversations, you can find them on the TSN 690 website. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday.